Someday, March 10th, 2019, it's time for the only Nationals baseball podcast you'll ever need. Today's topics, is Michael A. Taylor Michael A. Starter? Should the Nats really have picked Anibal Sanchez over Tanner Roark? And we investigate some of spring training's greatest injuries. From Bethesda, Maryland, this is the Rashcast with Jake and John. Hi, and welcome to episode four of the Rashcast. I'm Jake. And I'm Johnny. And here we are. It's Sunday, March 10th, 2019. We're about midway through spring training. The Ides of spring training. Something like that. Uh, Johnny and I just got back from West Palm Beach. We're here in Bethesda, Maryland. Uh, and uh, let me tell you, it is a fun experience to go down yeah. to West Palm. It really is. Um, you know, First of all, the weather was just fantastic. You know, sunny every day. A little hot, but you know, no complaints. Um, and second, you know... You're watching baseball in March, which is always great. Yeah, it's it's watching baseball in March. The games don't matter. It, I mean, you're not exactly super into the games, but and it's it's not like the Nats have any really interesting prospects to watch. I mean, unless you consider Carter Keyboom fascinating, uh, but it's outside you can be outside in march and i'm coming from ann arbor so i'm coming from boston so it's it's nice to be outside mm-hmm. uh the the thing about the ballpark is obviously doing this review of the ballpark 3 years after it opens isn't super interesting but uh for those of you who haven't been to the ballpark it's it's a little generic a little boring um it's nice but i would say having also done spring training in Arizona. Uh, the ballparks out there are a little bit more interesting. They've got a little bit more going on, uh, especially if you can get out to the Salt River Stadium uh, where the Rockies and Diamondbacks play out in Arizona. I really highly recommend going out there. It's a really cool ballpark. Uh, I haven't been to Sloan Park, the Cubs' uh, home, which I've heard is really interesting, out in Mesa. But uh, there's some really cool ballparks out in Arizona. I think the most interesting experience, though, from this spring training was actually going to uh, Jupiter for the game, uh, Nats Marlins. And it was a Tuesday afternoon, and the stadium was only Nats fans, and not many of them. It was just completely empty, and you could hear everything that was going on in the field. It's true. And we were sitting right behind the dugout. Uh, I yelled, hi, uh, Adam to Adam Eaton and Adam Conley was sitting in the Marlins dugout and he responded hi. So that's uh, that's how intimate it was. And also one major tip, if you do go down to spring training, bring a lot of suntan lotion. Yes. Uh, we learned that the hard way. Yes. My ears, I'm still pulling skin off of them. It's, it's not great. But uh, back to more spring training action. Um, last night, uh, the Nats were finally on TV again. Uh, which is a whole thing in itself. Uh, <laughs> but we had what looked like what could be the opening day lineup, um, minus the DH. And the interesting thing about that opening day lineup is that Michael A. Taylor seems to be in it, uh, as opposed to Victor Robles. Now, I saw some speculation that if the Nats decided to go with Taylor as opposed to Robles in the opening day starting lineup, they could 
possibly manipulate Robles's service time and hold him down until June, uh, which would guarantee them another year of service time. But I just don't see them happening. Uh, you know, there aren't a lot of outfielders in this, you know, in this minor league system that can actually stand up and be fourth outfielders. It would probably be Andrew Stevenson, and he is just not a major league caliber player. And it, w- it would be really hamstringing you in a season where it looks like every single win is going to matter. Uh, to not go with your best 25 would just be uh, you know, possibly detrimental. And the other option, you know, call have Robles start the season, but keep him on the bench doesn't make any sense either. Uh, you're not going to call this guy up, your top prospect, and not play him. And it, it, for me, it makes very little sense. Taylor, at this point, I think is a known commodity, even though he changed his swing. Every spring, he looks great. Every spring, he's a spring MVP. And then he comes to the regular season, and he turns back into a pumpkin. Well, not always a pumpkin. It's just Michael A. Taylor. He's still a useful player. He's yeah, he's certainly... a useful fourth outfielder. Right. He's he's a great defensive player. He's got pop. But he's, uh, but he's not going to be the 435 hitter that he is in the spring. Right. And he's probably not going to be the guy he was in 2017, uh, despite what his spring results might indicate. And the truth is that you are best served by going with the most talented player in a season where you could really struggle to win that division. Uh, and the talented player, the the one that gives you the best chance at winning the division pretty clearly is Victor Robles, even if he's raw. I mean, he's not that raw. He's 21 years old. He you know played plenty of games at AAA last year. I mean, a month or two, but it's it's not like it's not like he's Juan Soto. Uh, and you know, even with Juan Soto, that worked out pretty well. Man, you know, two weeks at AA managed to come up and hit just like he does everywhere. Yeah, and um, you know, in the worst case scenario, if Robles struggles in in the majors, then you can put Taylor in. You can slot him in the outfield and see what he can do. Um, but that's you know one issue. I would not start the season with Taylor in center because then you know what what if he hits really well? Then what to do with Robles? Right, and um, I mean, I mean I, that would be a good problem to it have. Would be, it would be a good problem to have, but. You moved on from Bryce Harper, assumably because Who? you had yeah true. Uh, Never heard of the guy, but assumably because you had Victor Robles, and and you felt the confidence in Robles that you can move on from Bryce Harper. If you didn't have Robles, Harper would be a lot more of a necessity, right? So you look at the the. It's not because you have Michael Taylor that you moved on from Harper. Um. So let's say yeah, best case scenario, Taylor starts in center field and he goes off. I mean, you're probably going to have an injury in the outfield, probably with Eaton. Uh, well, you can't predict that. You can't predict that, but he hasn't and been healthy. So Eaton, Eaton's looked healthy in spring this year. He's, he's running well. Uh, he's stealing bases. He's even one of the big things that you could notice about Eaton uh, in 2018 when he was coming off the injury was he couldn't, you know, his arm was his game in the outfield uh, the year he racked up a whole bunch of uh, defensive runs saved. 2016 and right uh his game was i think he had 19 outfield assists or 16 some huge number uh 
and he just couldn't plant last year. He couldn't plant and throw. It was all arm, which really diminished his value. Uh, even as he wasn't running well, uh, he still could have been valuable with the arm. But uh, he really struggled last year throwing runners out. Uh, he's looked a lot better this year. But uh, the point is still well taken that the Nats outfield depth basically is just Taylor. Uh, and he probably will get a chance to play a whole bunch this season because someone will get hurt because someone always gets hurt. If you know someone I'd like to sign as depth, who would probably take a minor league deal, is Jose Batista. He was still a league average bat last year, and he would be interesting to have as a fifth outfielder or fourth outfielder if you're planning on starting Taylor in center, because the other you can't have Robles on the bench. And then you're stuck with Howie Kendrick and left. Who the I problem? The problem with Bautista as a fourth outfielder is that he can't play all three outfield positions. It's pretty much just right field and left. That's true. Uh, but I do agree that someone like Bautista, uh, the Mets got Carlos Gomez. He would have been an even better fit. Uh, the Nats outfield depth, you know, behind Taylor is Andrew Stevenson, Rafael Bautista, and. I don't know, Yadiel Hernandez, Jose Marmalejos in left. It's it's pretty thin. So uh, they really should be on the prowl on that minor league market. Hell, if Denard Spann can't get a major league deal, couldn't hurt to, to give him a look. Not that you know he would probably want significant playing time, considering he had an over 110 OPS plus last year and still looks like he can you know, handle himself with the bat. Uh, God, it's so weird that he doesn't have a contract. And him, Adam Jones, there's so many guys who should have a contract. Carlos Gonzalez, even though he didn't, wasn't great last year. He was a lot better last year than he was the year before. I think he had a, an OPS plus over 100, so he was at least the league average bat. Yeah. Um, these are all established major leaguers who have proven that they're great and... Yeah, and still can't find contracts. It's, yeah. it's kind of ridiculous. Yep. But, uh, you know, moving on, the other thing that we saw in the spring training game that was televised was uh, Anibal Sanchez, who threw four uh, really solid innings against the Marlins. Obviously, results don't matter. It's spring training. But the Nats made a very interesting decision this offseason. They essentially chose Sanchez over Tanner Roark. And uh, at the outset, I thought that that was a mistake because I think that the main reason that they did that was that they didn't believe that Roark was worth the $10 million salary he was going to command in arbitration. Uh, and I think it severely underestimates the value of, of Roark's skills. The fact that he's immensely durable. Uh, he takes the ball every fifth day. He goes reasonably deep into ball games, And he gives you roughly, I mean... Obviously, he has the potential. He's had two seasons where he's done better, but uh, he, he gives you roughly league average innings at, at the worst. And that's immensely valuable. That's not something that you see a lot. A guy who can give you 180 innings of league average ball is it, it's a commodity that's becoming rarer and rarer. Uh, but uh, from what I've seen out of Sanchez... From what I saw out of him last year when he played the Nats, uh, you know, I I could be convinced. Yeah. Um, going back to what you were saying before about Roar, the value of Roark, 
you know, and replacing with Sanchez is, especially in this rotation when you have Jeremy Hellickson who pitched, how many innings did he pitch last year? Uh, well, it wasn't so much how many innings he pitched he as only could pitch, the innings he pitched yeah. when he pitched. Yeah. He pitched, he'd be limited in innings, and he didn't pitch too many innings either. Well, I and, mean, but, the injuries were mostly freak injuries. Yeah. But. Anyway, uh, and then you have Strasburg, who isn't your best sure bet to stay healthy any given year. You have Corbin. No, he's pretty much a sure bet to miss sometimes. Exactly. You have Corbin, who has been healthy, but, you know, you never know. Um, and then you have Scherzer, who's the, my rock and my who will always beautiful be there, soul. Who will always be there for us. Please stay healthy, Max. Uh, but what Roark was great at was every fifth day, he'd always take the ball. And I, with Annabelle Sanchez, he got hurt and missed significant time last year. He pitched only he pitched 24 starts. Um, well, that was he. He only missed a couple starts with injury. I think it yeah. was a, a hamstring thing. It mm-hmm. wasn't anything really seriously no. concerning. But uh, he's another guy that you don't necessarily see going deep into games. Uh, and he's you know a guy who thrives on mixing it up. He's he throws six and arguably seven pitches. He throws a fastball, cutter, sinker. Uh, he throws two different kinds of changeups, a curveball and a slider, uh, which is fascinating. But he's the guy who thrives at this point in his career on trickery and soft contact. So you don't necessarily see him going deep into games. And this bullpen, if they don't sign Craig Kimbrell, which obviously, as we discussed last week, and if you follow me ranting on Twitter all the time, uh, you know we continue to say they should signed Craig Kimbrell for obvious reasons. You know, he is the best closer of all time. Maybe non-Mariano Rivera division. Maybe even better than Rivera. But, uh... They... The bullpen's thin. Right. They don't have the bullpen to cover two guys who can't go deep into games. And are also assumably going back-to-back in the rotation. Right. Which is another thing. Uh, the interesting thing about the Nats rotation, it seems like it's going to be uh, Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin, Sanchez, Hellickson in that order, uh, which means you end up getting two guys who give very similar looks, you know, in Strasburg and Scherzer, followed by Corbin, who gives a very different look, followed by two guys in Sanchez and Hellickson who give very similar looks. Uh, it's, it's not necessarily how I would organize things. But uh, especially because I'm a, a big believer in the idea that you can actually make a difference by giving a team multiple different kinds of looks from your starting rotation uh, by mixing it up. But on the other hand, with Sanchez, as we've spent the last two minutes bashing him, uh, he may have figured something out. Yeah. Uh you know, he, he's one of those guys who, you know, kind of like CeCe Sabathia, uh, CeCe Sabathia, where he learned how to pitch with reduced velocity. Um, I mean, he learned the sinker last year. He threw that more than he ever did. Uh, and that really was a key for him. The the cutter. The cutter, sorry. Um, he also, I love his two changeups. I love the uh, last night he threw a 66 mile an hour changeup, which I'm a yeah. sucker for extremely it, slow pitches. It's basically a screwball. And, I mean, you can't help but see. 66 on the gun and think of Levon Hernandez. So, mm-hmm. um, 
but I I think you know, he's one of those guys who learned how to redefine himself, and I think also signing Kurt Suzuki along with Anibal Sanchez is interesting because Suzuki was Sanchez's catcher last year, and I think pairing those two guys up again this year will might go a long way in his prolonged success as a starter, right? Um, because they seem to know each other, and Suzuki is a smart catcher. I mean, he's been there. So is Gomes for I mean, yeah, but Gomes, he knows. But Suzuki knows Sanchez. Suzuki knows Sanchez, and Gomes has a reputation as being an excellent pitch caller. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't think that you know you have to pigeonhole Suzuki as uh, as Sanchez's personal catcher. But uh, regardless, I think you could see Sanchez's success carry over. I'm not saying it's impossible. And I see why the Nats did what they did. A lot of their rotation decisions were based on the presumption that you know both Sanchez and Corbin were fundamentally different pitchers in 2018 than they were in 2017. And, and the suggestion that they could continue that changed performance. I mean, same on, with Hellickson, too. Well, to a much lesser extent. Hellickson yeah. was always that guy who was thriving on Fastball change up, fastball change up. Very similar pitcher. I mean, he just had different results in 2018. That's true. But, uh, yeah, so I, I could certainly see why the Nats make the decision that they did. Uh, I think Hellickson, or pardon me, I think Sanchez is intriguing. Uh, but I do think that they really underestimated the value of a guy like Roark. And I'm not even suggesting that Roark is the pitcher he was in 14 or 16. I just think that a guy who can go out there, get you deep into games, uh, you know, throw 125 pitches is the kind of thing that's been very much devalued in baseball nowadays. Uh, But I think it's immensely valuable, even if he's throwing league average innings. I also think that, you know, trading Rourke to Cincinnati is not going to be a good fit for him. No. Uh, I mean, he's always struggled there whenever he's pitched there. And so his numbers are probably going to be inflated this year, and that's such small ball par- uh, small ball- ballpark. Um, but I think that Sanchez I- – I'm a fan of him. I think that we covered – I think I said that. Um, I think that he is – if he can stay – if he can give us like 160, 170 innings, I think it's going to be a better – the better end. But I'm not sure he will. Uh, give that many innings. And he has a lot of incentives in his contract that are based on the innings pitched. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's somewhere up to $3 million incentives this year. So uh, the Nats are certainly you know, going to compensate him if he gives the innings that they hope it will. Uh, and I think that if he does hit his innings mark, it's probably going to be quality innings because I don't think the Nats are going to be afraid to pull him early in starts if he's not pitching well, which is another reason to put a real long man like Joe Ross, if you want to use him that way, in the bullpen. And the Nats, finally, it seems like Davey Martinez has hinted at the suggestion that they may be willing to do that. Uh, Ross is the kind of guy who with his extreme platoon splits uh, because of his lack of a third pitch, uh, 
is the type of guy you would expect to thrive in the bullpen. He also has, or had, you know, we haven't seen him since Tommy John, but he had a history of his velocity falling off in the later innings. You know, both of those problems are pretty well mitigated by putting him in the bullpen. And if he can go two, three innings, you know, get you one time through the batting order, that's super useful when you've got two starters who you don't necessarily anticipate going long into games. Uh, of course, you know, uh, Craig Kimbrell uh, is another option, another way that you can go to lengthen the bullpen because that bullpen is very thin right now. Yeah, and, and the Nats cut Solis today, which is not much of a surprise. More of a surprise that we turned him a contract in the offseason. Yeah, they basically just wasted $140,000 to give themselves options, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, now the bullpen depth. We only have two left-handed relievers in our entire 40-man roster. And one of them is a closer. So yeah. if you allow Kimbrell to take over the closer role and let Doolittle play Rover, you've lengthened the bullpen significantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's enough about Craig Kimbrell. Yeah, I like, don't think that's happening. Probably not. There's uh, Jim Bowden or Ralph uh as said, he likes to be as called. he likes to be called as he calls himself of course um said today that the Nats and Braves weren't in on him anymore who knows how but, reliable Jim Bowden is but yeah, he's uh, often wrong i'd rank him ahead of bob nightingale in terms of believability but it's not much further ahead right uh he, mainly because moser's reputation currently is being a giant screw up on yes. the Gerardo Parra trade the Gerardo Parra trade that's a throwback back to when people wanted to trade for Gerardo Parra. But, uh, yeah, I just, I don't, even if, you know, you don't really trust Bowden, uh, I just don't see the Nats going over the luxury tax. I mean, barring something shrewd like a creative reworking of Brian Zimmerman's contract, which I could maybe see happening. The guy is due $18 million this year, and he's got a $2 million buyout on his 2020 uh, club option, which will assuredly be taken, even if he plays well and stays healthy this year. The, uh, I mean, they'll decline the option, obviously. Uh, if you reworked it to something like maybe three years, $27 million, add a, a little extra cash. Uh, I mean, it's not like the Nats, you know, like you'd be blocking anyone. They don't really have a first base prospect. And it would give you nine million extra dollars to work under the salary cap you know if the nats were willing to get creative uh but barring something like that happening i just i don't see it happening yeah yeah i agree it's unfortunate because you know you want to put out especially this year when you need the best team you can put out there possible to win the division um i mean the phillies have the best lineup in the nl the mets got better the braves are still good. They're the reigning division champions. Let's and not forget so, about that. You know, the Nats had a very good offseason, B-plus offseason, I'd say. Right. Um, but the Phillies had an A offseason. The Mets probably had an A-minus offseason. Right. Um, and so you're going to need to ca- play catch-up a little bit. Right. And Kimbrell would be that vault to an A offseason and also would put you back up probably as the best team in the division. Probably. It's very close between the Phillies and the Nats right now, but I have the Phillies as nominal favorites. I would agree. Not much else is really going on this right. week. It's March 9th. It's the middle of spring training. It's dead time. 
So I think we're going to close out the show today with a, a game. So the game we're going to play today, in honor of spring training, and also in honor of Joe Kelly throwing out his back trying to make Cajun food this week. Yes. We're going to look at other fun spring training injuries. So I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to name a player who hurt themselves in a ridiculous way in spring training. And Jacob's going to try to guess how they got hurt. Yes. So I'm going to start off with an old national, Gio Gonzalez. How did he get hurt in spring training? I'll give you the year, 2013. 2013, he got hurt in spring training. Hmm. Let's see. How would Gio Gonzalez have gotten hurt in spring training? I am going to say that he hurt himself going clubbing in some way or another. That is not true. No. He suffered a rug burn on his forehead wrestling with his bulldog, Hollywood. You know that happens. It happens to the best of us. So next, we're going to look at, we'll ask Joel Peralta. How did he get hurt before spring training in 2013? Hey, that's another ex-nat. Ex-nat, yeah. Good work. Uh, Joel Peralta. He was with the Rays at the time. Did he get hurt or his emotions hurt when somebody tried to call him on his habit of uh, of doctoring baseballs? No. He hurt his neck climbing out of his Camaro. Well, on a sandwich run. On a sandwich run? Yes. Those things can be dangerous. Yes, they can. Um, this is a more famous one. Um, Jonathan Lucroy. Jonathan Luke. Oh, my God. I remember this. Did he get... I want to say he got stung by a scorpion. But that's not it. I can't remember. How did he get hurt? He was reaching under his hotel room bed for a lost sock when his wife shifted a suit- suitcase, causing it to fall on his hand. Lucre suffered a broken hand and required surgery. His wife received hate mail from fans because of that. His wife received hate mail. I didn't realize that Brewers fans were so passionate. Yeah, apparently they are. So let's ask how Michael, the other Michael Taylor. The other Michael the Taylor. The other Michael Taylor. He suffered There's a name I've not heard in a long time. He suffered an interesting injury. How did he get hurt? I'm going to say that the Michael A. Taylor had some sort of voodoo doll situation going on. Like a Highlander type situation? There can be only one. There can be only one. No, he was in the dugout of a game, during a game, and he hit his hand, breaking a finger, trying to throw out a piece of gum. Trying to throw out a piece of gum? Yes, he hit his hand, and it broke. I love baseball players. Yeah. They're just like us, except they get paid millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. How did David Price get hurt in spring training 2012? Dog bite? No. Astro got him? Nope. How? He was wiping off sweat on his head with a towel and he strained his neck. <laughs> oh my god. Yep. This is amazing. Mm-hmm. I love this sport. It's pretty um pretty great. So lastly, let's talk about Luke Scott. Luke Scott. Did he hurt himself saying the N-word in the wrong part of town? <laughs> that seems like something Luke Scott would do. Uh that is not what Luke Scott did. Um so Luke Scott apparently strained his right calf, which he sustained after drinking too much of the water, which supposedly had a higher absorption rate than tap water. Too much of what water? So it was alkaline water. Alkaline water. Yeah, which contributed to the strain of flushing electrolytes out of his body. Well, you know, that may be what influenced uh, Luke Scott into really desiring purity. Jesus. Are we are we hating on Luke Scott a little too much? I don't think people remember Luke Scott. Uh, yeah, he was a big old racist. 
Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, hopefully Luke Scott doesn't listen to this podcast. I'm sure he does. One yep. of our 30 listeners. Definitely one of our 30 listeners. Hey, don't tell how many listeners we have. We have millions of listeners. Millions of listeners. Coming from across the world. Yeah. Well, that's been our show. It was a light news week. Um, we mostly focused on Nats this week. Yeah. But hey, we got some exciting news. Uh, we are on Apple Podcasts now. Apple Podcasts. So We're if, a real podcast now. Exactly. You have no excuse not to listen. Exactly. So if you feel so inclined, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Feel podcast. so inclined. No, I demand it. If you don't do it, I will find you. I will hunt you down. I have a very particular set of skills. Et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera, et cetera. I don't remember the rest of it. Um, so, yeah, subscribe. And also, um, if you like the podcast, we wouldn't mind you giving us all five stars. Yeah. Or um, just telling us that you like the podcast. Yeah. It always helps to feel loved. Uh, and so I think that's it for us today. All right. Um, another we'll, great episode in the books. Another great one. Another one. Uh, thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye.